0: Hey, everybody, it's Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by two very special guests, Nick Sharma and Austin Reif. Uh, Guys, welcome to the podcast.
1: Excited to be here, Eric. Thanks for having us. us. Uh,
0: So by way of introduction, uh, Nick, why don't you start and introduce uh, yourself and your expertise, um, and then uh, then you can talk about why you're excited to have Austin join as well, and we'll have Austin introduce himself.
1: Yeah, so I'm Nick. I run a company called Sharma Brands. We're basically a consultancy for brands that are either in the direct consumer space slash e-commerce space or for brands that aspire to be. So whether they are large Fortune 100 brands looking to DTCify their current brands, which might be like ancient brick and mortar or, you know, just some old brands that have been around for too long or uh, working with brands like Judy or House or um, Brightland or, um, you know, a whole slew of other direct consumer brands that are hot and upcoming. And, um, you know, we help them with all things strategy, growth, consumer insights, distribution, you know, in some cases, like helping them with supply chain and operations. But in most cases, we try to focus on the distribution side. And that's actually my background. Prior to this, I was at um, Hintwater and spent two years there building their direct consumer business. Um, that's actually where i met Austin because I was an early advertiser on Morning Brew. And I wanted to bring Austin on mainly because every time I think I talk to Austin, I feel like I learned something new. We're, we're friends in real life, but I feel like he's also like somebody I look up to in the business world. So yeah, I thought Austin would be a great addition to this podcast and to your audience.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a big compliment, Nick. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, so Nick's right.
2: We did meet, it must have been three, three and a half years now uh, ago, at least. I started Morning Brew in 2015, and the basic idea is we're trying to make the business world more engaging and accessible uh, for modern business leaders. So. We're most well-known for our daily email newsletter, sent out six days a week, right around 3 million subscribers, and we're getting well over a million daily opens. Uh, And recently, we've launched a bunch of new products uh, in two different areas, either one, making people smarter, better at their job. So we have retail brew, targeting retail professionals, marketing brew, targeting marketing professionals, and emerging tech brew, same thing. And then... On the other side, we started to create and dabble with different types of content, whether it be audio in our podcast or video content that you know takes business news but also other topics people care about, uh, you know our readers care about, and creating content they can engage with. So that's Morning Brew.
0: Awesome, Nick. I want to start by asking you, what is your sort of D2C D2c uh, in, in investment thesis, and h- how and how that has evolved uh, over time? And, and the biggest question people often have is. VCs often have is hey, how do I tell you know this brand of clothes or sneakers or whatever from an from another like wh- what is really you know determines whether a brand is going to pop or or what makes a brand defensible versus versus not? What one you uh, take a stab at some of these questions?
1: Yeah, I mean when I started um, investing, which was probably two years ago, my thesis was basically you know is this a brand where if if it starts to go downhill could I almost jump in and help save it from a marketing and sales standpoint? And if the answer was yes, then I would, you know, say it's pretty much good to go. I would say now it's probably evolved to, you know, if there's a brand that has a really clear moat around something, whether it be a owned audience, you know, through something they own, like there's a skincare brand launching this week that I invested in that, you know, has built a following through their own and operated blog for, you know, a handful of years. Um, so that's one example or through having somebody on board like, you know, a large celebrity or, you know, whether they're an investor, a co-founder, kind of like how Onda has Shea Mitchell or Maud has um, Dakota Johnson. Um, so that's one one example of a mode. Another example of a mode is like Austin and I are invested in a men's skincare brand together called Black Wolf Nation. And, you know, an example of their moat is, is you know, they, they own their own fulfillment center. So they never pay fulfillment costs or, you know, a cent more than what they should be paying when it comes to things like shipping and boxing and picking and packing. And so basically, I, I try to look at like, where is there a moat that that somebody else could not, you know, if somebody went to the same manufacturer, spent $100,000 building a brand, like where could they still not win? And why is it so obvious that these guys are going to win over their competitor? And for me, you know, I, I tend to write checks pretty early, um, sometimes pre-product or pre-brand. And so for me, it's always relying on, you know, what is that one thing that's going to make sure that they get to that next level or, or get carried through to their, you know, Series A or, or that that level of of um, success.
0: Austin, how do you look at uh, investing in, in DTC brands and e-commerce companies more broadly?
2: Yeah, so through my fund, I... I don't invest in many direct consumer businesses. I just don't know it that well, and uh, I think of them similar to to media companies, where it's tough to get venture returns. There, it's possible. And someone actually recently, I'm sure you know who it was, uh, wrote this great blog post that broke down that you can, uh, you know, return a fund and have have a successful VC fund. Uh, but for me, I like to think more about what are the e-commerce enablement brands, uh, the brands that are helping those businesses succeed and figuring out what their moat is and how they have a defensible strategy. I know one that I believe Nick and I are both invested in uh, is a business called Co-op. Nick can explain what they do much better than I do, Uh, but, you know, they're crushing it. And, you know, they are helping direct consumer businesses acquire new customers, which, you know, in a world in in where that's everything, as Nick was talking about before, distribution is everything. Uh, and so if you have a business that can help companies get distribution, that's huge. So that's an area I invest in, but Nick obviously knows the space much better than I do.
0: Nick, w- where from an e-commerce enablement perspective are, are you most excited? About?
1: Probably two, two places. One is, is distribution. So that one Austin mentioned co-op commerce is a great example of that. You know, they help brands basically, for example, Eric, if you purchase a pack of, um, of Brightland oil on the checkout screen after you've purchased, you will first see a post-purchase survey to understand where you came from. And then you'll see probably an ad for something like caraway pans or the beverage house. And it's basically the concept of, you know, somebody's already done the work to bring somebody to that screen and, and get them, gotten them to convert. So why can't we, you know, see if we can stretch that customer and also bring them to a like-minded brand where there is evidence that they share, you know, a very similar type of customer persona. So that's one. And then the second one that I'm really excited about is probably on the, on the financial side. So, you know, you see companies like ClearBank or Brex, you know, they've done a tremendous job of, getting more access to uh or or making access to capital a lot easier. And then there's a lot of companies that have followed on with the stuff they've done. So whether it's you know Shopify Capital or or something similar to that. Um, so that's another place that I'm really excited in. You know, I invested in a company called Settle, which almost does the, the pretty much the same thing uh with their their next few launches, but you know, it started as basically a cash flow management tool. And um, I actually started as a customer and then realized that this could be huge and um, decided to get further involved. But for me, it's really on the side of, um, uh, of capital, like making it easy for somebody to, to go ahead and, and do it, or also even for, for some fast-growing brands who just need better management of cash flow or, or better payment terms on, on whether it's POs that are incoming that they need paid faster or, you know, checks outgoing that that need to be delayed. Um, and then also on the distribution side, where as Austin mentioned, it's basically, you know, it's it's a fight to acquire that same customer. And so another great company that, that I joined was um, The Fascination. And their whole job is, you know, they're basically creating a p- premium publisher on the internet where they're acting both as a very sophisticated publisher in terms of putting out great content, but they're also bringing commerce into it. So if you're moving to California or, or actually if you're moving to Miami, you might try to understand, you know, what what are the, the 10 things you need to get when you get there, right? Is it a Judy kit because you don't know about the hurricanes that are about to hit you? Is it a, you know, an eight sleep mattress? Is it a, a Buffy comforter? Like basically the fascination does a great job of, it's almost like the infatuation for commerce, right? They take these real reviews, not paid for reviews. They bring them in and um, and then their goal is, you know, if somebody's moving to Miami, for example, can we put together a a cart with you know the ten different things they need from their pots and pans to their bed sheets, and and then take a cut of that? But you know, basically, almost like an affiliate platform, but with a much more premium feel.
0: You can imagine just a you know infatu- infatuation or fascination, you know, for X, almost like a roll-up, you know, business that 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 helps incubate these or, or creates these. Does that exist?
1: It's a good question. Maybe Morning Brew's B2B side will have something for that? No, but I,
2: I do think what they're doing is interesting. I've, I've heard about them, and I, I'm curious if, like, they're going to collect so much data on these consumer brands. Uh, you know, they're, they're up funnel, like upstream from purchase behavior, but they're, they're pretty close to it. I'm curious if their plans ultimately to launch their own brands, uh, or or invest in some of these brands. But I think it's an interesting space. I don't know like how intriguing strictly affiliate is unless you get huge, right? Like If you're like a credit karma, that's obviously a great business in the right space. Uh, but that position of leverage being upstream from a, a purchase decision can be really valuable.
0: Uh, I want to talk about uh, the ways in which um, th- this broader space has, has evolved. Nick, you've been doing it for, for some time. I mean, w- one of them is sort of the intersection, given that we have Austin, it's appropriate, th- between content and, and, and commerce. W- why don't you talk about h- how that's evolved? Then we talk about how sort of the investing in the broader space has, has evolved over time.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, Austin, do you want to take a first swing at it since you're yeah. Mr. Content?
2: Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the most exciting spaces out there. I think... Media companies, most media companies are struggling because they're, number one, they have bad cap tables, right? So a lot of these companies that that people talk about, they're actually not bad businesses. They just have bad cap tables that are underwater and they're trying to figure out ways to get around it. And ultimately, when you raise, like you're a a fast growing SaaS business, you're actually a media company that's growing 20% a year with decent margin or potentially decent margins. uh, It's been tough, but I think... What media companies are starting to do in commerce is really interesting. I wish a lot of them went further into it. But, you know, the classic example is Barstool. They build these great brands on social. They monetize those brands. And I, I think the, the best example of a Barstool's done really well is, is with Pink Whitney. So there's this podcast. I'm not a hockey fan, but I think it's the biggest hockey podcast out there. Two guys, two former NHL players talking about hockey. They built up a brand. They did an ad read for New Amsterdam Vodka. It went you know, and the ad read because they're building up personalities, because people actually care what these people say. Uh, I think the ad read was basically like, you know, I drink pink lemonade at my vodka. And the ad read did went well and people started tweeting about it. It built a little mini franchise. And next thing you know, they do a partnership with uh, New Amsterdam where they're selling pink vodka. Uh, And I think that's what's so exciting uh, is using media as a top of funnel for something that is not just ads. I think ads is part of the way you get there. Uh, But I think it's whether it's as a company, you know, selling commerce or whether it's, you know, like the hustle has their hustle trends or whether it's a, you know, like an individual using their media and their Twitter as top of funnel for a fund. Uh, I, I think it's all a similar idea, which is, Distribution is so incredibly important, but there are better ways to monetize it than just subscription and ad revenue. And maybe I, I, I know I'm a little controversial when I say it, but everyone talks about subscriptions are like the ultimate way to monetize. And I think like you know a hundred dollar subscription on Substack, like that's that's fine. But I think they're ultimately most creators are going to find that you know a hundred dollar subscription is not the optimal way. I think you can go way high, higher dollar. Uh, and sell something of more value to your customers.
0: Let's go deeper there. Same, same. More about how other monetization opportunities are um, are emerging and and what they could look like, or what they do yeah. look like, and what they could look like.
2: Yeah, I mean, so we can. Yeah, you, know, you can go through it for a individual creator, but you know, you have someone like Web Smith who he. I mean, he has the full stack, right? So he's he's really executing this at scale uh, for an individual. So he has. His newsletter, which I believe he has ads in some days, and not positive. He has a, a subscription, but then he also has a twelve hundred dollar a year membership, and it's like it's uh, it's the hundred true fans versus thousand true fans. So you know, it's twelve hundred bucks a year. Uh, so it's high investment, and he's providing true community and value for these people. And and I think he also does investments, has a fund as well. So he's really doing the full stack. So from a from a company from an
0: individual perspective, he's really i think he's doing well i think is a a great simplification here that many content companies should be experimenting with with commerce and uh a bunch of you know ddc and commerce companies should be creating uh great content Uh, like that all of these should be sort of fused together so i think it's really hard
2: to create content as a commerce business i actually think it's easier to create, depending on what the product is, of course, create a product, some physical product, as a media brand, then a then vice versa. With that being said, when you start talking about SaaS businesses, obviously you know the equation changes, and that's why I've, I've been tweeting about this for for years now. Like SaaS businesses, just start to roll up media companies, and they have. So uh, MakerPad just recently got acquired by, I think it was Zapier. Yeah. I think, yeah, um, and the hustle got bought by HubSpot, and it, it just it makes so much sense from a like a it's such a positive sum gain. Number one, there's multiple arbitrage where it's like SaaS businesses are trading their thirty times ARR dollars for media companies that are happy to sell at four times revenue. So it's a it's it's you know it's basically like free ar- it's arbitrage it's like free a free acquisition. And two, they have that audience. But as someone who went through this and had some of these conversations and has these conversations, it is easier said than done for these things to happen, uh, for these deals to get done. But on the other hand, there also aren't that many brands to buy. So if you're a SaaS business, uh, I think it makes total sense to buy a brand. But as each one gets bought, there aren't that many brands where the audience truly gives a shit about what they say.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. I mean, so people often comment on how you know, sort of, how the internet has led to sort of this this great barbell, where what happened to retail stores is that they got stuck in the middle because you know, Alex Enko has a series of posts where it's like your purchase behavior is either the exact thing that I want, this like hyper niche, hyper customized, you know, uh, specialized sort of product, or it's sort of you know whatever the aggregator is. It's sort of you know Amazon. It's just like cheapest, most convenient you know, I just go to that one place for, for everything else, or it's the exact thing that what I want. And retail stores kind of got caught in the middle of being neither of those two. I'm curious if you'd, you know, edit the characterization of, of that phenomenon. And I also wonder if sort of, you know, most media sites are also basically like the retail stores, uh, or at least sort of legacy media sites, that they're, they're not like hyper specialized, hyper customized, I and mean, we have many emerging, many blogs, many Substacks, stacks, etc. Um, and then we have, you know, sort of Facebook and, uh, but we don't, you know, most like and maybe New York times in that too. I don't know. But most legacy media sites are sort of caught in the middle. Any reactions?
2: A hundred percent. I, that's where these companies got in trouble five years ago is they thought they were Facebook and they were going to have that distribution. And they don't. And at the end of the day, no matter how many page views you get, Facebook has more, no matter how many, you know, views you get video views, you get YouTube has more. And so I think the definition of scale and media Is Facebook, Google, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, you know? And then if it's not, if it's not distribution, it's got to be the best content in the world. Like it has to be unbelievable. And like I don't even know who you put in that bucket, right? Like you probably put like Disney, right? And Disney's trying to flex both. And that's why Disney can be incredibly powerful. But yeah, if you're not you know, best it doesn't need to be best content in the world for every person, it needs to be best content in the world for your demographic or your psychographic. So, like Ben Thompson, right? Best in the world for the people who read that, you know, other people. But yeah, way too many people try to be all things to all people, and then you're, you're nothing to nobody.
0: Yeah. And, and I know, I know, also you think a lot about sort of media in, in the broader sense in terms of where we've been and, and where we're going. Why don't you help, uh, you know, contextualize it by adding uh, any thoughts on either the history or the future that we haven't yet yet covered? What, what would you add or help contextualize this conversation?
2: The, f- the future is going to be really interesting, right? It, the, the, there's going to be, they're gonna, there's going to have to be new models for success because what what's happening right now isn't working. And so we, we will see, right, some things have to change, either journalism or media is going to have to be, again, like we said, top of funnel for other things that are higher dollar or what I think is going to all, or I think it's end, we're going to have to go super long tail. And that's why I think Substack ultimately is going to build something really interesting. It's because Substack to me is ultimate manifestation is not poaching, you know, all these journalists. To me, it's, it's about creating a million new content creators who write for their small niche. And when I say Stubstack, that could be Twitter now with review. Actually, what they're doing is really interesting because they own distribution. So I actually think that's fascinating. But no matter who it is, the idea of creating content for the long tail, but that only makes sense if your cost structure is essentially zero. So if you start to build up a media company, it changes. But, but yeah, I think there are be interesting models. And then, of course, like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, they're going to succeed because the paper of record, they have the brand. Everyone else is just scrambling to figure their shit out and we'll, we'll see what happens. Nick, I feel like direct to consumer, like the, the, the commerce base is similar No,
1: Yeah. Very similar. There's, there's brands that, you know, like you said, they either have something that makes them win, but in most cases, brands are really good at at one thing. um, Whether that's really honing in on a certain demographic that they have, you know, pretty well uh, grasped. Or uh, actually, I mean, that's that's really it. Like it's 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 really a game of audience in the in the direct consumer world, right? When you find your your first 10,000, 50,000 customers, that's kind of what establishes you. And then and then you start to grow different arms and legs from there. You know, Hint's a great example where They, they were primarily a beverage brand and then they started to expand the beverage line and then they started to understand, okay, you know, there's, there's one, one thing of DNA in, in every product that we put out, which is basically we remove the, the, the shitty ingredients and we add, you know, really rich, flavorful fruit essences. And then they said, okay, now how do we go tackle, you know, if we have a brand that we can leverage. We have something we're known for, which is the fruit. How do we go find other white spaces in the market where we can go in, take the shit out, put the fruit in, and and jump on the shelf? And so it started with sunscreen and um, you know, deodorant and it's moving towards you know a ton of other things like chapstick and other personal care products. But it's it's very similar in the sense that you've got to dominate one segment first, right? And then you can go and play, the other segments. I mean, even if you look at like from a, a, a an example that a lot of people would know is like Gary V, right? Gary started with marketing content and and social media, and then now he talks about everything under the sun, right? <laughs> like wine and sports cars, whatever. But it started with kind of building those, you know, for him it was probably like one million super fans around marketing, and then starting to then dabble and say, okay, what are the other you know seven things I could talk about? and it works the exact same way in in commerce as well. I mean, I've even learned it by <clears throat> I started a newsletter a couple months ago kind of as a joke and then I realized, "Oh wow, I could pull, you know, pretty high open rates and a, and a ton of people reading this every week." But it's it's when you look at the analytics, it's very specific to the content. So if there if the content is really dialed in, right, starting with like the subject line all the way down to the end, then the open rates overall tend to be really high, and when it's not as dialed in, the open rate falls because you know there's obviously some effect of people telling other people to read it or forwarding and whatnot. But yeah, I would say commerce and and content go pretty hand in hand in terms of like trends and and how they interact. Yeah, and 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 Nick, you've you've
0: been you know thinking and 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 experimenting and active in sort of figuring out distribution for, for, for a long time on, on behalf of clients and, and uh, you know, investments and other people you worked with. H- how has that evolved uh, over time? And, and where are we right now and going forward in in figuring out, uh, you know, how to do distribution for, for companies?
1: Well, I mean, when, you know, a few years ago, it was all about like, let's play between this bubble of Facebook ads and and generating cash. And, um, you know, there was almost no, no attention paid to retail in stores. There was no attention to e-retail, which is basically, you know, target.com, walmart.com. There was no attention paid to, to Amazon in terms of like, should we be listing on Amazon, getting on Amazon or other marketplaces like Verishop or, you know, some of these other marketplaces that have come up recently. Now it's all about like, where can we get for free? Right. Or where can we put our brand? Knowing that at the end of the day we're still making money for every unit sold, and um, who has the connects to get everywhere, um, you know, without it, it costing us an arm and a leg or, or taking forever, and then also, of course, the 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 holy grail on top of that is somehow own having a, a pre existing owned audience that is interested in what you're building because you have some kind of information, you know, that shows that. So, you know, if you're if you're a, a celebrity who's known for like YouTube and now you're selling tequila, it's probably not going to work, right? But if you're a celebrity or if you're a um, YouTuber, you know, who's known for cooking and you're selling caraway pots and pans, that's probably something that's going to work. So I always tend to look for for something in that space. But but I think overall distribution is like, you know, it's now the name of the game, right? It's like the first question investors ask is, well, what's your acquisition cost? What are your channels of acquisition? What are you doing to, you know, beat out your competitor for literally that same spot on the Instagram feed? Right. And so it's it's basically, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a race to the bottom, unfortunately. But on top of that is where you have the advantage of, of owning your audience. Yeah. I mean, Eric, it would be it'd be awesome to understand from like your perspective, you know, you're investing in these companies and most of these people sign up for the podcast cuz your your name's on it. Uh-huh. So it'd be good to understand like maybe you don't have to name the name of the brand or the founder but like what are what are, what are a couple of the things in the D2C world you passed on and why and what would have made it something that you didn't pass on or what are some of your D2C investments that you've made or e-commerce enablement investments you've made that you believe are going to, you know, essentially help you return the fund and why?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting. We've been talking a lot about you know, content and uh, commerce, and one thing that's sort of adjacent to that as as well that that I focus a lot on is communities and, and and brands that really uh, harness communities to create sort of moats. Uh, or, or whether they so one example of that is is All Stripes. All Stripes used to be called RDMD, and with, it was founded by uh, this this person Ono, uh, who had a rare form of cancer. Um, and what he did is he started gathering other people who also had this rare form of cancer. And because it's a rare form of cancer, uh, they're underserved. The big companies don't make, uh, don't make drugs for them or don't make high quality you know, services for them uh, products for them. And so he started building this organic and authentic community of people who have a, uh, a, a rare disease and then different rare diseases. And they started sharing data with each other and then the company so that they can get better products. And, and that's a really exciting example to me uh, because it's a hard community to build. And it's uh, it's once you get that data, you can serve that community better. And so we've invested recently in another company that's trying to do it uh, in health as well for chronic illnesses for, for women called Superbloom. Um, and I'm interested in other sort of communities and brands that if you, uh, once they get off the ground, they, they either get some data advantage or they just... Compound as a as a result of being a part of people's identity, and this is on deck, right? Um, you're part of the. This is why Combinator. You're part of the first cohort of something. Uh, there's status of in being involved in the first cohort, and then you have additional cohorts, and thus the experience just gets more valuable as more people enter enter the network. So uh, I'm interested in, in in communities and brands that have network effects because uh, as as more people get better, the, the network gets stronger, uh, and they either and it becomes part of their identity in the way that like. You know, OnDeck has become some, some part of some people's identity on a much bigger scale in the way that uh, CrossFit or, 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 or SoulCycle or some, some of these other brands have become part of people's uh, I- identity, but it, it's, and that's, you know, amplified. There's a relationship with the brand and then there's a relationship with the people that that also like the brand. And so that that's a additional factor that, I, that I'm interested in.
2: Yeah. I think that's interesting as, as someone who runs a media company, I, I talk a lot about the difference in community and fandom. I think media founders too often confuse the two. Neither are bad. They're both good, but they're different. They serve different purposes. So a lot of times when people say, oh, we have a like every media company says they have community. Very few do. Almost none do. Community companies have communities. Media companies have, if they're lucky, fandom. Just because people comment on your Instagram post doesn't mean you have community. Uh, To me, it's hard to define. But to me, media a media brand is more one to many, right? And and people may love the CEO or the founder or the creator, but that doesn't mean it's community. Whereas community is more many to many, like what you know you've built with OnDeck. Uh, another quick story is I invested in a business called Soul Savvy, Uh and and it's a it's a concept where they create communities of sneakerheads, and they they do community in a really interesting way they have a couple they have cohorts and they keep cohorts like two thousand people at three or four hundred bucks a year uh they're doing really really well and to your point what's interesting to think about is if they can create the go-to community for sneakerheads yes of course they can build a you know 50 or 100 million dollar arr business and do the math but it's like well what can they do with that right if they own the access to sneakerheads. It, it gets yeah. interesting. to Think about like what, what are, what's the potential, and so I, I really like that business a lot, and I, I love the idea of going in with community and then scaling into something else or monetizing it differently. I think the challenge there is community is tough to scale. So to make sure that you are either your LTV of your product right is high enough, like you know like like a Y Combinator venture that 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 worked out pretty well, or you can get to that next step, that next thing fast enough. Where your community doesn't get diluted.
0: Yeah, you no, know, it's a great point. I mean, it's interesting. First, on the, uh, I think you hit it exactly right. Communities are are many to many, and you know, content can be a great way to get a community off the ground. Uh, you know, because they rally around this individual, per, you know, person or brand, but they then have to create the next step of facilitating many to many, and other people go more. So you can go, either go tops down or, or, or bottoms up. But if if you go tops down and you don't sort of you know, pass the baton, so to speak, start to decentralize the 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 relationships or, or control. Uh, yeah, it, it won't be many to many. It'll be fandom, and that works for for many people. That that's totally fine. But it, people should know exactly exactly what that means.
1: One thing that I heard recently that I thought was super real was if you don't have a group of customers who would jump on Clubhouse to talk about your brand or your, you know, whatever's new or updates or whatever you're launching. Or even another good example is like, if you don't have a Reddit community that has a very engaged and active, you know, basically group of users that are, that's always talking about updates or what's new or their concerns, their problems, you know, things they like or dislike or, or want to see, then you don't have a community. You simply just have super fans or fans. And one of my favorite brands, that that i think show a great sign of community are is probably like soul cycle. You know, if you go to any social platform, there's not only the social channels of a soul cycle, but also, you know, customer created groups uh, whether they be Facebook groups, chat rooms, Reddit communities, you know, Clubhouse, meme users, like Instagram meme accounts, I mean, so many things, right? Like that to me is, an, is a great example of community.
0: A lot of people have thought, hey, let's build this product first, and then we'll just, you know, sprinkle community on, on, on top of it. Um, whereas you know, in a world where as we're talking about distribution is, is the hardest thing now, it's not, it's, it's harder to get distribution than it is to, to build the things so, And that used to be reversed. In that world, uh, community is the hard thing. And so you're seeing people do the opposite, which is build an audience first, build a community first. And then, once you own that, uh, think about what products you, you can build on top of it all the while you know maintaining or, or, or realizing that if you sort of lose your your initial value prop or you dilute the community by scaling too much without providing sufficient utility to justify the scale, you know you, you threaten the the goose that lays the, the golden egg, so to speak
1: yeah. yeah I always say the the best the best time to Build Your Audience was like 10 years ago. You know that quote about the tree and the second best time is now?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: What is going to be interesting is is seeing if they're, if there's somebody who who thinks they can help these companies that have a lot of these super fans turn them into somewhat of a community, you know, because it requires a ton of time, a ton of, you know, like on the street style uh, coordination, marketing, communication, and understanding. But I think it, some of them can be done. You know, if you build a, if if you take a site like Morning Brew and you try to build a community around it, I think that's definitely something that could happen. You know, to discuss the daily news or or whatever it may be. But then there's also going to be the question of like, well, what percent of users care in the first place, right? Like, how many people want to just get their newsletter? finish their coffee and get on with their day versus how many people want to read the newsletter. And then, you know, whether it's join a clubhouse room to discuss it or, you know, join a Reddit thread or, or whatever an app would be, you know, to communicate with others and chat about it and and feed off of that. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to see in the near future too.
2: Yeah. And I think the thing is you, you can be able to build community, but not want to, because it's a huge commitment, right? Like it's a big commitment if you don't do it right, you just waste the time and effort. And so we've talked a lot about it and and we do plan on building community, but not with 3 million people, right? We plan on thinking about what are the small niche communities where we can get, create a a high dollar product and build community with those 100 or 200 or 500 people in cohorts, as opposed to saying, hey, we're going to Try to fill the community with three million people. It's for us. It's it's not you know the juice isn't worth the squeeze so to speak.
0: It's not worth the
2: the effort there.
0: Yeah. Gearing towards towards the closing here, Austin. What, why don't you talk a little bit about the the future of of Morning Brew and, and just more broadly, you know what what you hope to to build in the next uh, next few years and beyond. Yes.
2: Yeah, so I think we've done a really really good job of creating a newsletter business. I think the next evolution for us, and we've started, but it's a we're very early in the journey, is just becoming this media uh, brand, but more importantly, just a brand that resonates with modern business leaders. When you think about business, whether it's reading the daily news, whether it's getting educated further and taking classes, whether it's learning about your industry, whether it's being entertained on social, whether it's learning about investing or productivity, I want to have products and services that cater towards our generation and the way our parents' generation, or at least my parents, viewed the Wall Street Journal. I want our generation to view Morning Brew as that go-to business, not just news source, but that business entity that you can identify with and just you know, go-to for all of your business and
0: business-adjacent needs. Nick, how about you? How do you think about uh the, the 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 roles in which you, you might want to play and 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 evolve
1: we are looking to two things either one acquire brands and scale them up as if they they were brands that we work with or two pretty much what austin said like basically find an owned audience and and launch brands based on data of what's selling what's moving fast And um, what has the greatest potential. And I mean, we, you know, we've done so many brand launches over the last two years that we have a pretty good system to understand or identify where, where white spaces exist, and then also testing into those white spaces and making sure that they actually do exist, not just reading, reading the data. So I'm really excited to see, you know, either what we launch or what we acquire and then end up growing. To, to the extent that you, you can,
0: sh- share a little bit about what white space does exist or what's your sort of request for for startups or request for in- innovation in the space. Where would you like to see, you know, people who are potentially building stuff, but you know, where would you like to partner with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we do a really good job of taking brands that have gone, you know, zero to one or one to 10 and then helping them grow from there. So we're looking for brands at that stage that are just, you know, they're, they're tired or, or they don't know what to do in the next step. They don't want to take the next step. They want to get back to launching and building. And I've actually learned there's there's a ton of people who are serial launchers and builders, but they don't want to be the scalers. So that's probably the criteria. I mean, as far as like more specific, we're either looking at things that, you know, that interact with you in, on a daily basis. So whether it's inside your home or outside your home, um, but mainly things that, that probably hit your daily routine in some way, um, your daily nutrition, your daily, uh, you know, your daily process of getting ready, like whatever it may be, something in your routine, that's what we're looking for.
0: Yeah. And what are things that you either passed on, uh, you know, explicitly or, or sort of passively just have surprised you in, in the past, uh, couple or, or few years, uh, in, in this broader space that you didn't originally see?
1: There, there, there was, you know, so there was like DTC 1.0, which was companies like native and, and movement watches, right? Basically own, they, they figured out how to find the manufacturer, how to make a website and then drive traffic there. And then DTC 2.0 was basically almost everybody and their mother understanding they could go to a contract manufacturer and pretty much do the same. So I think what surprised me most was probably at the beginning of that when I would get, you know, five decks from skincare brands and they're actually all feeding off the same product, same ingredients, same manufacturer with a different logo, you know, put together by some branding firm getting paid a quarter million dollars. And, um, that to me was probably the funniest thing and and definitely something I passed on. But I think since then, there's been a ton of innovation around like, you know, again, finding those moats. And I, I think at this point now, I really don't look at brands unless they have those kind of moats.
0: Give us some examples of, of 3.0 companies then.
1: Yeah, I mean, a great 3.0 company, I would say, is is like Judy. Judy's emergency kit brand that we launched last year. You know, they have tremendous access when it comes to distribution, the founder being Simon Huck, and, you know, spending well over a decade, I think, in the entertainment industry, knowing the ins and the outs, knowing everybody and their mother. So I think that's one great one. Black Wolf Nation, I think, is another great one you know, whether it's because of the cap table that they have with some of the prolific people there down to the, again, the manufacturing abilities, the financial engineering abilities and the the fulfillment. And another one I would say is probably like co-op commerce. You know, that's another one to me that I think is, um, is well on its way to be a billion dollar company simply because they they found that white space, which is that post-purchase page and, and found a way to, to to make money off of it and and basically drive revenue and traffic and conversions and new customers for, you know, brands that maybe didn't have a shot when it came to Facebook and Instagram ads. Yeah. And if, if
0: Greg Eisenberg's sort of uh, shorthand for white space was, you know, go to, you know, subreddits with a certain amount of followers and, and see if you could build a community on top of them, what's what's the D2C shorthand or, or equivalent?
1: Honestly, there's a handful of Chrome plugins. You can go surf Amazon. You know, you can go to you can go to brands that that or marketplaces and just look at what's best selling. You know, not available for, you know, maybe they don't have their own brands, um, and build brands around them. Awesome,
0: guys! It's been a, a, a great episode. And let's end with some plugs. Where for people want to go deeper, where, where can they find you online and, and check out check out your work?
2: Yeah, I mostly I mostly hang out on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me at Austin underscore Reef R I E F. Uh, I'm a few other places, but that's where I spend most of my time. And uh, and and check out Morning Brew. Yes, absolutely, Morning Brew.
1: Yeah, awesome. I'm also mostly on Twitter at Mr Sharma. There's no underscore S H A R M A or just Nick Co. You can you can hang out on my site and you, also my Twitter's there too.
0: My, my guests today have been Austin Reef and, and Nick Sharma. Austin, Nick, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you, thanks for having us.